Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 166 of the Speaking Club podcast. Quote for today is from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Finish each day and be done with it. You've done what you could. Some blunders and absurdities no doubt crept in. Forget them as soon as you can. Tomorrow is a new day. You shall begin it serenely and with too high a spirit to be encumbered by your old nonsense. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey there, lovely to have you listening to the show again. So, this is the question. A load of old rubbish? Or the secret to unlocking everything you've ever hoped and dreamed of? Those are the two sorts of reactions that you get when the subjects of manifestation and the law of attraction come up. Like many, I watched The Secret and was ever so slightly sceptical that if I visualised a Maserati turning up in my garage, it would happen. I actually don't have a garage, so I'd have been doubly impressed. But over the past two years, I've been actively exploring the law of attraction and manifestation And I've had results with it that I can't ignore. And that's why I wanted to bring Andrew Capp onto the show. Now, Andrew is the author of the last Law of Attraction book you'll ever need to read. There's a big claim. We'll be talking to him about that. And it offers readers a different take on it from the usual books you'll find on the subject because it addresses why people who get excited about trying it still can't manage to get in the habit of using these methods for just five minutes a day. And the book has enjoyed continued success, including over 1,500 five-star rave reviews. It's now the number one bestseller in multiple categories on Amazon, and there's a growing YouTube channel devoted to it. So I'm going to get the lowdown on his work, but not only that, also how he manages sceptical audiences too. And whatever your current position on it, I hope you'll listen with an open mind to what he has to say. You never know, it might change your life. Let's go over to the interview right now. Welcome to the Speaking Club, Andrew Cap. Sarah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I don't think you're as excited as I am because I've been, I've been keeping a little bit of a lid on my um, exploration of this topic. There's been little things filtering through into the podcast but I'm very excited to find out from you lots more about the law of attraction. And what I wanted first to ask you is what were you doing before you discovered the law of attraction? Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. You know, this is probably going to, this answer will, will set the record for maybe the longest winded answer of the day, if not your whole (laughs) podcast. And it'll probably answer a a bunch of other questions as well. But um, I think any entrepreneurs listening out there will definitely relate to what I'm about to say here because Um, I was introduced to the law of attraction back in 2004. And 
this was basically, I'm a budding entrepreneur. I'm trying to get my business off the ground. And I think that, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're a salesperson, if you don't have a nine to five salary, where if you have a bad day, that money still comes in, but you've got to be online and, and kill your own dinner, so to speak. I think a lot of people in those situations, they will gravitate towards a positive mindset or a positive modality or something of that nature, whether it's a Zig Ziglar or a Tony Robbins, or it's the secret or whatever it might be, even though secret wasn't out then. Um, so for me, law of attraction was just one modality of many where I was just trying to get my act together. And I was trying to explore how does life work? How does the, the planet work? How does the universe work? How does my reality work? What can I do and what can I take to, to make my life better? And for me, even though this thing kind of rang true and, and there was things about it that made sense, it was very inconsistent. It was very unreliable. And I would only find out years later that it actually wasn't unreliable. I was unreliable. I was inconsistent because while I kind of noticed that at the time, what would happen was I would get excited by the content. I would start to do it. I'd actually start to get results and then I'd still stop, you know, like something, something would happen and I talk myself out of it that day. And then that one day would turn into a week, would turn into a month. And then like all the results would go away. So this persisted for about four years until um, I had what I call like the worst week of my life, basically, where I lost what felt like was 90% of my life. So I basically, um, I was trying to keep my business going. I had a three relationship. I was trying to make that go. And I was like, okay, this is done. This is not working. So I quit my company. I completely closed it down. And three days later, my girlfriend, who I did that for, breaks up over text. She's like, I'm out. So now it's like, okay, <laughs> no company, no girlfriend, no relationship, like no life. Like it's completely done. And I basically had to take this long look in the mirror of like, okay, whatever's going on in life, especially someone who's looked around and everything, like something's not working here. And I had this really weird, I don't know if you call it epiphany, I don't know if that's the right word, but I just had this kind of like hunch or this nudge of like, listen, Andrew, you've got nothing going on in your life. Um, you've got to do something. That law of attraction thing kind of worked when you actually did it. And I was just in this place of because of, you know, being depressed and being down and being angry at myself. I was so stubborn and indignant that I now set on a new path where I'm like, listen, I don't care what happens, when it happens, how it happens, why it happens. I don't care about any of that. All I know is I'm going to go all in with this because I've seen it work when you do it. And real quick, all in doesn't mean all day, every day, because we both understand human nature. You're still going to burn out. It doesn't matter how pissed off you are. You're going to burn out. But I was upset enough and I was motivated enough to do five or 10 minutes every day of gratitude exercises or visualization exercises or all the things I'd learned over the years, which I was starting to tweak to make it easier for me to keep, uh, stay consistent with it. And the results blew my mind because two weeks later, I felt better, which is saying a lot with a broken heart. And then I feel 100%, but I felt a lot better with a broken heart. Like, wow, three months later, I'm in a brand new, way healthier relationship with someone that really understood me a lot better. And I was ready for it. Four months later, I'm making more money than at any point in my life before then. And six months later, like everything's different. I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm waking up happy and fulfilled. I'm on cloud nine. And I basically learned through... Not that anyone should have to learn it through this way, but I learned through getting these bumps and bruises and then finally doing it, that whatever this thing is, we'll call it the law of attraction. We'll call it the universe. We'll call it energy. We'll call it vibration, call it frequency. Whatever this thing is, it works when you work it. And the beauty of it is for me is I didn't learn it from some guru or some book, even though I like my book a lot, or some other person. I learned it through my own life experience. And once you learn something like that through your own life experience, 
No one could ever take it away from you. You were forever changed and you were forever at a point of agency where you can always do that for yourself whenever you want to. Cool. Okay, that's great. Now, I'm just putting myself in my audience's shoes. And I know if I was listening to this, I'd be like, what was it you were selling when you, in the business that you closed up? Because mm-hmm. I would be curious to find out what what were you what were you, was it a product was it a service Yeah so here and this actually it speaks perfectly to the point of desperation I was doing a lot of pivoting in that business so when it first started out it was an art production studio because I was trying to get my comic strip into syndication uh, you know here in the states you know I wanted to be like the next Garfield and uh-huh. um, that didn't pan out but I was reasonably good at like networking and things of that nature. So, um, you know, publicity. So I kind of leaned in the direction of a little bit of like marketing and things of that nature. And I was even, I was actually pretty good at it back then or, or pretty decent, but the pieces weren't in place. So at that point I was, I was doing marketing. I was doing a little bit of copywriting, although I had about 10 years more to learn before I can actually, before someone should hire me. Um, but yeah, I was just doing standard like marketing and copywriting, which I would later become, in my view, way more proficient at. And again, the pieces just were not there. I was my my energy was very split. My intention was very split, and it was it was basically destined to fail from the approach I was coming at back then. Okay, cool. You know, at, at that six month point when you were in the new relationship, when you were earning more. What mm-hmm. were you doing then? Were you you weren't at that point? You hadn't written the book, and then were marketing and sort of working, helping people with that. You were doing something else at that point. What was that? Yeah, so I gave my permission myself permission to throw that old life completely away. Like I gave my, I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm I know that I'm going to do my own company again, um, but I'm not doing it now. So I mean, I I kept one or two clients from a more relaxed point of view that were pulling in money. And I found myself like into this this, um, this nine to five managerial slash customer service uh, situation, where I basically all of a sudden before I knew it, it, it was it was a smaller company, but I found myself at like an executive level, and I kind of just it was a very seamless process where I put out all the like you know I put together a resume, I put together a cover letter, I was very aligned, and all the pieces like clicked, all the emails that had to happen between me and and that company, um, all the conversations, everything made sense. It's kind of like um, it sounds dramatic, but it's like I was built for that job and that job was built for me in that moment where today, I mean, I could still do it, but it's a mismatch of energy. But in that moment, all those pieces clicked into place. I was I was negotiating harder for, for that salary than I thought I would than I ever thought would have done in the past. So. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess that was my long way of saying I was doing like executive slash managerial slash customer service uh, type of thing. Cool. And so what year was that in terms of chronology? Where, where are we now? Yeah, well, we're late 2008 into 2009. And, okay. you know, this is, by the way, again, this is actually important to talk about because whenever whenever we read a book or we see like a movie like The Secret, again, not to badmouth them, but everything is in, like in this condensed uh, time frame. So your brain also puts the expectation of a condensed frame, time frame. I remember, like, I'm going to date myself, but I remember when MTV, at least in the States, they had that, like, that show, I forgot even the name of it, where the person wanted to do something and they got a mentor and 30 days later, something happened. And it's like, that's nice and everything. Well, one, the person failed a bunch of times, almost as if the producer told them to do it to make uh, interest in the story, but they never actually did the thing they were supposed to do in that time, even though they framed it as such, which is a long-winded way of saying, like, listen, two weeks later, I felt better. Three months later, new relationship. Four months later, money. Six months later, everything. This was a progressive incremental thing where 
I, again, luckily, unlike in years past, I didn't have a deadline and I didn't even have a specificity of what's going to happen. I just had this intention of life's going to improve. I don't care how or when it improves or why it improves. I'm just going to go all in and embrace this modality and this mindset. So there was even a point where like I'm working out in a dojo and I'm doing it to feel better about myself. I'm not doing it to lose weight. And yet one day I'm at a, at a party and I've gained some weight since then. So if anyone's watching on videos, like this doesn't line up, but back then I'm at a party and someone's like, Hey, Andrew, your jaw is a little more chiseled. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, you're, you're looking a little, little slimmer there. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just working out with sensei, but they made me curious. So I hop on the scale that night. And over the course of only like seven and a half weeks, I had lost 25 pounds without trying. So all these cool things where if I was trying to lose the 20 pounds and I was looking at the scale every day and I was stressing food and da, 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 I don't think it would have happened. Whereas I was just going along this path, step-by-step, day-by-day, new thing emerging, new idea emerging, inspired to action, feeling good about going to the JoJo rather than trying to force it, all these different things, all these little pieces were happening throughout, losing 25 pounds there, getting that job there, getting that client there, meeting that girl there, all in different places without a certain expectation or a certain requirement of how it's supposed to unfold. I kind of just sat back, even though I took action uh, on a certain at least energetic or um, intentional level, I was kind of sitting back and relaxing and letting all the good stuff come to me. It's really interesting, actually, because I, I'm, I'm, on other shows, I've talked about, you know, Chicks at Mahali and Flow. And it sounds to me that when you sort of surrendered um, you know, in that six month, your whole life, and you and you sort of let go of expectation, and you just trusted that the right things would happen. Your whole life seemed, from what you're telling me, to be in that flow state as a, as a complete entity. Did, is that how it felt? Yeah, and you know, I had um, we'll call it the luxury of desperation, and I don't think people should. I'm I'm hesitant to say that because I I want people to understand that they don't have to hit rock bottom in order to do this. However, oftentimes when we do hit rock bottom, we're, you know, there we're at such a point where we just don't give a flying F. We're just like, all right, what, whatever, like my life's over anyway. Like it's done anyway. I might as well do this. So you don't have to get to that point. But if you do, oftentimes, at least for me, it gave me that opportunity to surrender because I had nothing left to give anyway. I had nothing left to surrender. So of course, surrender was the easiest thing in the world for me. And it really was one of those things where um, I'd spent so many years of requiring and having a certain expectation that I was almost burnt out from the idea of expectation. I was burnt out on the idea of requirement. I was burnt out on trying to force this into existence. So I almost tired myself out into letting go and then things unlocked. Again, you don't have to get to that point. But for me, I had that gift of, of desperation and um, that gift of of just apathy and being completely worn out, but apathy in terms of how it's going to happen, not apathy in the sense of where I want my life to go. It sounds like, I'm not sure desperation, I mean, it's your word and it's your life, so maybe it does fit, but it Mm. feels to me like it wasn't desperation. It was more like just, you know, detachment in a way and like, I've, you know, almost serenity, like I've got nothing like to lose now. Yeah, like part of it's like, um, I think when when people go through a bad breakup, for example, a lot of people, they sleep late. And me, I did the opposite. I got up early because in some intuitive level, I'm like, you know, you hear those things like time heals all wounds. So like in the beginning, I am waking up early to start my day early to get my day done early because I couldn't wait to keep living. I just wanted to get the days out of the way. So I had a, a very different mentality than, I mean, I was 
depressed, but I had a different mentality the way most people deal with depression. Most people, again, they'll sleep late. Me, I'm like, okay, I'm up. Let me just live through this so I can get to the good stuff. That was like the, the perspective that I had. And that was even just as I was getting started with, you know, these gratitude processes, which the gratitude and the good feeling quickly replaced the desperation. So then I went from getting up at 5 a.m. just to get through my day to getting up at 5 a.m. just because I was excited to get to my day. Nice, nice. There's a couple of things that I want to ask. Um, when you were little, what did mm. you want to be? I know this is a bit um, left field, but I'm just curious. Yeah, well, I mean, when I was like a little, little, little kid, <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't a lot there. I mean, I didn't have like aspirations of being like an astronaut or a lawyer or a doctor. When I, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, I wanted to be a comic book artist. Hence, even like the, the ah, cartooning. Yeah. I actually like... I was um, I wasn't as good as I wanted to be. So like as I was teaching myself to draw using comic books, um, I'm, I quickly discovered I'm like, listen, I'm not improving very fast, and to me, it's not worth 20 years because by the time 20 years has passed, like I'm I'm past my prime anyway. So I downgraded to comic strips because I figured I can go from drawing 22 pages with all different panels to one to four panels per day. I figured that'd be easy, but again, there was um, a misalignment of energy in terms of the comic strip. It just didn't click. Um, in, in those days you needed a syndicate, which was like an agent to market it to a newspaper for you. And there were only six of them. So if I couldn't get them to go with it, I certainly didn't have the wherewithal or the energy, um, in myself to go to the newspapers in person because they wouldn't have listened to me anyway, or maybe they would have back then I had a really, um, I had a negative, a more negative, more pessimistic outlook. In fact, just to skip around and give you one more long winded answer, um, the thing that kind of got me down the path of law of attraction and other positive modalities, again, to date myself, is I remember I was on a AOL instant messenger with a friend of mine, and I was telling him how the business was going. And he's like, dude, dude, I want you to stop right now. And I want you to scroll up. And I want you to read all the last 10 things that you said to me. And it was me complaining, saying nothing's going right. Da, da, da. It's like, listen, you are filling your, your own head with the worst programming. And he told me to read um, this book, What to Say When You Talk to Yourself by Shad Helmstetter. And I think he might have also told me to read As a Man Thinketh by James oh, Allen. I'm not sure about that, that second yeah. one. I know I found that pretty soon. And I also found Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. So through those times of books, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's very important what you put into your head because, you know, garbage in, garbage out. You know, good stuff in, good stuff out. So that was that was my long-winded way of, guess, you know, saying that's where I kind of like started this approach even back then. I had to go from being a kid who was just average and saw things even from a more pessimistic point of view to having reality slap me in the face a few times and a really good friend point me in a new direction and say, do it this way because your life will probably be a little bit happier. So we're at to 2008-9, you said, I think. Is that yep. right? Mm -hmm. So you're in this executive job and you start to, to see the results of the work that you're doing. Is it at that point you started evangelizing about it to other people or how long was it before you decided actually do you know what this is my path yeah, so this is my purpose if I was close with somebody and I saw they were struggling I would spoon feed it to them just to see if they were up for it um it, it was never there was never something where I was out there screaming about it and uh, and also even though looking back I had it all worked out by 2009 I also gave myself the space and time to continue to experiment because I was of the mind where, listen, wow, these methods turned around my entire life in six months. But what if there's something, what if there's a higher level? You know what I mean? What if there's something more to do? So I spent a few years 
continuing to read other law of attraction books, not from the state of like, oh, I've got to figure this out, but more of the state of, is there anything I'm missing? Is there anything going on here? And it was only, it was like 2009, run ahead of 2019, 10 years later, where I've been, you know, by then I'd left that job. I've done side hustles. I've grown a, a business. I was doing marketing consulting the right way. I was doing copywriting the right way. And I had this kind of situation where it's like, I want to do something new in my life and business. And I asked myself, what can I do that I'm not, to be candid, I'm not going to be bored. I'm going to be excited to engage with customers when they email me questions. I'm going to be excited to talk about this every day on podcasts if someone wants to have me. What is that one thing? And I was like, oh, well, it's the one thing that made the most impact in my life. So it was only 10 years later that I gave myself permission to write this book. And you can tell by the title. I mean, look, the last Law of Attraction book you ever need to read. I didn't want to just make another book in the space because there's no point to that. That's not serving anybody. I wanted to make it something that addressed things that I'd went through and things I noticed other people going through. And by the way, it's not just law of attraction. It's fitness. It's weight loss. It's relationships. In all, it's, it's marketing. I definitely knew in marketing. I fell into that trap myself. We find these things. We find these solutions, and we read book after book after book after book. We do program after program after program after program, and they're all awesome books, and they're all awesome programs, which is the point. Why do you need 10 programs when one of those is good enough? Why do you need 30 books when one of those is good enough? So I set out to have the situation of like, okay, any law of attraction book worth its salt is going to hopefully explain it in an easily understandable way. And every law of attraction book worth its salt is also hopefully going to give you user-friendly, easy-to-implement methods. I wanted to do those two things, but also in addition, hold up the mirror to the reader, explain their psychology so that they can catch themselves in the act of stopping when it's working so that they then therefore do it long enough to get at the result. And then again, just like for me, it isn't the book that teaches them. It isn't me that teaches them. It's their life experience that teaches them. And again, this is all addressing the fact that whether it's law of attraction or weight loss or anything else, we overconsume information and we underimplement it. It's just our human nature. And, you know, I'm happy to explain why, but, you know, that's a thing that we have and something that we need to acknowledge and notice so that we can stop tripping ourselves up and stop falling into those traps. Yeah, and I definitely want to go into that. But just since we mentioned it, and it's, I can see this in the background, and you mentioned the title, I love its really clever positioning and marketing. I'm always talking on here about don't be afraid to be polarizing. Don't, you know, don't be afraid to sort of push people away. And that title, I bet there's a load of people that are going, oh, yeah, last is it? Who mm. are you to say, you know, and they'll read it because they want to see, you know, and it, so it's great title. I absolutely love it. I think it's brilliant. Thank you. Cool. Okay. And real quick, yeah. just to speak to that, I think this is really important because you make a great point, and I'll gladly take the compliment. It's also a risky title, meaning my yeah. my philosophy is make a bold, bold promise if you can keep it. Because with a title like this, you're either going to get rave reviews or you're going to get killed in reviews. So you've got to make sure that, like me, I made the cover very early in the process, and I'd look at it every day before I wrote a chapter. I was very intentional about this being a positive reader experience and hopefully living up to the name because I knew if I'm going to really make this title, if I don't back it up, it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. And I mean, I've read the book, I've read all of it and it is different. You know, I, I, we were talking before we started recording about my sort of journey and I've read lots of books. I'm one of those people probably that you were talking about. I've read lots of books. Um, I do implement some stuff, but I also don't implement enough but your book is different it is more of a practical guide mm -hmm. to implementing there's not very much fluff there's all the nice bits about you know there's all the positive statements that 
you know, that I love, you know, because for me, uh, one of the things I love about the whole law of attraction stuff, and I did an episode about it called your emotional guidance system. Mm. You know, the worst thing that you can take away from this stuff, even if you don't believe in it, is that you should follow happiness. And like, what's like, what's bad about that? You know, and be grateful, you know, so it is different. Um, the one thing that was surprising to me, and I mean, it's obviously sounds like you were really intentional in writing it was there's, there's not a lot of social proof. You're not one of these writers that's, does a sort of case study story then mm. the lesson it's very much is practical you know it is calling people out um wh- why was that yeah you know we were i know we were speaking a little about before we hit the record button i'll probably even say it a little bit differently now because um it's hard to articulate it's almost like there wasn't room for it in the book and i didn't want to shoehorn it in it's it's kind of like i felt like as i was writing the book Um, Because I know social proof and stories, by the way, they're wonderful mechanisms just for getting an idea across to a reader, which is very, very important. Um, One thing I did in a different way was um, I was very intentional about I I wasn't telling stories about me, but I was relating examples to to real life, to things we can understand, like skateboarding or working out or or ice cream. Like I I put it in that way. So I did have a, a specific device by which to connect the dots for the reader. But as I was reading it, I kind of, as, as I was writing it, rather, I kind of felt like I was making my point and I, it, it was weird. I just, it didn't occur to me to take any of my stories and put it in there because it didn't seem to fit into the flow with the way I was laying the book out. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, it, and I don't think it takes away from the book at all. And I know that, and we'll talk about this a bit later, there's, is not just the book. There's a lot more that mm-hmm. goes with it. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. So one thing, because this is the speaking club, so one thing I was particularly interested in is giving the polarizing nature of this topic, because there are generally people fall into two camps. It's a load of crap um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, or it's the best thing since sliced bread. So Mm -hmm. given that sort of polarizing nature of the topic, how do you present it to a cold audience to give your message the best chance of landing? Yeah, so... It's actually where um, perfectly segue from from my last answer because I was talking about relating things to real life. So uh, one way, and I, by the way, I'm, I still experiment with ways of of making this land for people or helping it land for people. But one example I love to use is the idea of working out to get muscles. Very oversimplified, right? But at least we understand you work out, you get muscles. So let me lay out two possible explanations as to actually how that happens. Explanation number one is you lift weights. And you go to sleep, and while you're sleeping, the muscle fairy comes and waves a magic wand, and you wake up with muscles. Poof. You know, all better, right? Explanation number two is that when you are lifting weights, you're putting so much stress on your body that your muscles actually tearing in little parts. And then what your body does is it responds by healing, by filling in those gaps with more muscle fiber, hence more muscles. Now, I probably butchered that explanation, but... It's pretty close, right? And I think most people, if they heard both possibilities, they'd say, well, the real reason is that second one, Andrew. To which I'd reply, actually, for the purposes of what we're talking about, it doesn't matter what the right answer is. What matters is you lift weights, you get muscles. You put an X, you get Y. And by that same token, whether you believe in the universe or not, whether you believe in vibration or frequency or anything like that, if you go through intentionally and and for the sake of enjoying it and you engage in gratitude exercises or visualization things results will come and and i would plead with someone please 
Don't give me credit. Don't give my book credit. Don't give the universe credit. But recognize that you do this thing and you get this result and then it doesn't matter. That That's the real perspective I want people to have because you don't need to believe in the law of attraction in order for it to work. And by the way, I could be lying or I could be deluded, but studies have shown just gratitude in and of itself, it improves sleep, it improves confidence, it reduces anxiety. Like there's all these things where even if you don't get these quote unquote magical results, you're still getting a win. You're still taking five minutes out of every single day where you're not worrying about your business. You're not worrying about your relationship. You're not worried about the state of the world this year or anything like that. You're just enjoying yourself. And who would not call that a healthy thing? Who would not call that a win? So from my perspective is don't believe in it, but try it anyway, because even if there's no magic in there, there's a practical application and a practical visceral result that you will experience. Yeah, and I think that's that was the next question I was going to ask because even though I'm really kind of bought into it, I'm still in the back of my head. It's like it's like faith in a way. Like there's still this little bit of skepticism in there. Like, is this actually going to work? I'll do it, but you know. So, um, but you're saying, and I think that message has come across very clearly. Whether you believe it or not, whether you care about it or not, try it, and you'll see the results. Basically. Yeah. And I'll even sneak in a non-law of attraction explanation. So let's take an example of just wanting a promotion, right? Now, um, for those that don't really know about this stuff, they're just learning. I mean, law of attraction is a long-winded way of saying that we're all made of energy, including our thoughts, giving you the op. And because like frequencies attract like frequencies, you have the opportunity to use your thoughts to attract a certain life experience in. And I use the thing of a job promotion because someone will go, well, Andrew, that's nice and everything, but I've been thinking about this job promotion for three years now and it hasn't come. Where's your law of attraction? And I'd say, okay, well, let's, let's stop here and let's think about this. Are you thinking about this job promotion every single day from a sense of frustration and impatience and fear and uncertainty and doubt? Because if you're doing that, you may think that you're thinking about the promotion, but you're actually thinking about the lack of the promotion. You're putting out the energy of the lack. Whereas if you're thinking about it with confidence and certainty and enthusiasm, now you're thinking about it and you're actually gonna attract it. But again, I promised a non-law of attraction explanation. Let's pretend that the universe isn't there. Let's talk about our subconscious mind, a powerful supercomputer. When you were thinking about that job promotion with confidence and certainty, you were sending those instructions to your subconscious mind because then your subconscious mind will govern your actions in a way that you won't even have to be in control of. You will naturally find yourself sitting up straighter. You'll, the cadence of your voice will have more confidence. You'll have better ideas coming to you. It won't bother you to work on a Saturday. All these things will come into play and will play out in a certain way where that job promotion will come, or maybe it won't come. Maybe you'll get a job offer from a better company at a higher salary with a better commute with a better position. Maybe there's something even better waiting for you, but your subconscious mind, which I believe is a part of the universe, but if you don't believe in that, it's still a powerful supercomputer. It's going to govern a lot of stuff for you and help you get to where you want to go. Yeah, cool. And I love that. I'm also a big advocate, and this is kind of what you're talking about, about this model of be, do, have. And mm -hmm. we always focus on the have and the and the do and the be. But like you said, you know, if if you start, if it's if you think it's a sure thing, then you'll start behaving in a way that you've already got it. And exactly. that has an influence. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Cool. Okay. So in your opinion, what is the biggest obstacle to people getting results with this stuff? Right. Well, so we, we sort of hinted at it in that a lot of times people are, are thinking about the lack without realizing it. Let's go to a slightly deeper level here. The biggest mistake people make is they do the methods for getting a, the, for getting a result. So 
people are like, wait a second, what? You mean, what's your book telling me, Andrew? You mean I'm not supposed to do a gratitude or visualization or scripting thing to get my result? I mean, isn't that the whole point? And the answer is yes and no, because when you're doing this method to kind of get the result or try to force the result, you don't realize that you're reinforcing the energy of the lack. You're reinforcing the level of awareness and consciousness that you don't actually have it. Meaning what's the solution? The solution is to do the method, whether it's a gratitude or visualization or whatever, do it for the sake of enjoying the method in the moment. Because when you're doing it just for the sake of the enjoyment, then you're putting out the energy of having it and indirectly you're going to pull it in. So it's really a quick, it's that fine line, that really subtle distinction of are you trying to get that job promotion by like gritting your teeth and really focusing or are you sitting back and relaxing and, and taking nice, deep, easy breaths, thinking about how great that job's going to be, feeling gratitude for it, not worrying about when it comes or how it comes. In fact, giving yourself the permission not to force it because by not having the answer yourself, you're giving the universe or some higher power an opportunity to serve you, and then you can let it go for a little bit. You can relax. You're going to take action, but you'll take inspired action when you're inspired to do so. But enjoy the method. Just breathe it in. Take those five minutes to yourself and say, I don't care what happens or when it happens. All I care about is enjoying this to whatever measure I can in the moment. And by the way, I'm also not going to fall into the trap of gritting my teeth trying to enjoy it too much because even a little bit is enough. And the moment it stops becoming fun is the moment I stop doing the method. I'm only doing it for as long as I'm enjoying myself in that moment. It reminds me of, it's really interesting because I, I, there's this interesting conundrum that I'm going to talk about. So when, when, you're, when you've booked a vacation and you know you're going on the vacation, mm. you can often be sitting there imagining yourself on the beach or in the city or whatever. And like, because you know it's coming, you can absolutely create that experience before you even get on holiday. So you've started enjoying the benefits of the vacation and having booked it, before you get there which is what you're talking about so it's yes. it's having that enjoyable visualization of something you know is is imminent um and the, and the opposite of that is when you're actually on holiday and you're there and you've got to go back to work the next week you start um you start having all those negative feelings whilst you're in paradise because mm. you're thinking about work so it's focused and, and it's that's I don't know if that's helpful to, as a sort of another way to sort of build on what you said for people to understand this yeah well it's very interesting like you you speak to something that it's human nature even like before the vacation happens it's almost easier for us to like take it in and enjoy it and then when we get there if it's if it's too short we don't even give ourselves the opportunity to breathe it all in. We're already worrying about work. We're already thinking about how many emails are piling up. We're already worried about that one person who is using this as an opportunity to be like, look, this person's not useful. I could take their job or whatever other nonsense. We're, we're letting that stuff swim in our mind rather than doing what we were supposed to do in the first place. What we took that vacation in the first place is to enjoy it in the moment. Yeah, and that's, and that's interesting because the next thing I wanted to ask you about, for me, I think there is a big crossover between mindfulness and this whole law of attraction stuff. And I wanted to check in with you and see if you thought that too. Yeah, so I, I mean, I see this as all being related and all the same thing with a different terminology and a different explanation. Um, I think, you know, you can say universe, you can say God, you can say whatever you want according to your beliefs because all these things are loaded terms. Love is a loaded word. Sex is a loaded word. Law of attraction is a loaded term. All these things mean different things to different people in different ways. But I think it all speaks to the fact that, you know, whether or not you want to acknowledge it or believe in it, there are things and frequencies that are happening outside of our awareness. And if we give ourselves the opportunity to see if they're actually friendly energies, 
I think will be pleasantly surprised because right now, if I pulled out a dog whistle and I blew really hard into it, it's a little bit rude, but it's not going to bother you. However, if there's a, a dog in the room, the dog's going to start flipping out. Well, what's that telling us? That's telling us that there are clear frequencies that we have direct evidence of that are still outside of our awareness, that our, mind, that our bodies are not physically picking up because our bodies are not built to pick up those frequencies. Even right now, we're having this conversation. I could have a, a long rationalization that there's a really long wire from here through the ground over to you. It's ridiculous, but at least it's a rationalization. But that theory goes out the window when I unplug the computer and we'll still have the conversation. And we still believe it because we understand um, fiber optics. We understand satellites. So we accept this thing. But if you stop and think about it, we are having a conversation from way different parts of the world in real time, hearing each other with a clear connection. There is obviously a frequency or some kind of energy that our physical bodies are not detecting that's there. It's happening in this moment as I'm speaking right now. It's happening anytime you text or talk to someone. It's happening in any way, shape, or form where you're not directly with that person in front of you and you're, you're still able to communicate in some way. We're getting evidence of this every single day that there's something going on here that we are not detecting. It, it would be silly really to not acknowledge that there's something that we don't understand and therefore start asking ourselves, what can I strategically do with this understanding to invite good things and better experiences into my life if I can do so? Love it, love it, cool. Okay, so what I'm gonna ask you next um, is, what's the first tool or technique from your book that you'd recommend people who are new to this to try and, and get started with this stuff? So, I mean, if, if I may, I'd like to give two because one of them is actually, it's my favorite one from the book. And I attribute it to actually being just based on my guess or, or um, experience. I think that had the most to do with me getting that, that huge influx of money back in 2008. But I'm, I'm going to give a second one to answer that because this one still requires you to take a few extra minutes and write something down. And some people don't like to write. But for those that are, are willing to write or type, um, I call this the time-lapse method. And it's a gratitude method. And you're basically going to write out 15 things that you're grateful for. Five of them are from your past, five of them are in your present, and five are things that you want in your future. And the trick is you're going to write all of them in the present tense, where if you read them out loud to somebody, they wouldn't be able to tell if you're lying, if it did happen, if it's going to happen. They don't know. It's all written in the present tense, right? And then you can take that list and you're going to jumble up the order of it. So maybe the first thing is a present item, followed by a future, followed by a past, followed by another past, followed by a present. It's all jumbled up, right? So with this jumbled up list of 15 things written in the present tense, you're going to read through the list one at a time, and each time you read one, you're going to give yourself, I don't know, 20 to 60 seconds to feel gratitude for that thing. And here's the really cool part about this. Two-thirds of that list is real. It's either happened or is happening. Therefore, the gratitude that you feel for that thing is going to carry a certain confidence, a certainty to it, an enthusiasm and energy that you just can't replicate, you just can't manufacture. And because we as humans don't downshift very easily, you've interspersed five future things in there, your gratitude will have that same confidence. It'll carry over. You're basically tricking your vibration, or if you don't believe in the universe, you're tricking your subconscious mind and programming it more authentically and more thoroughly with those five extra things. So it's a great way to simultaneously feel good about your life while also pre-programming a couple of good things in the future for yourself. With that said, if people don't like to write and they want a little bit shorter, I have a thing called the gratitude blitz where you can take 90 seconds, you can take three minutes, you can take five minutes, you can take whatever. You just sit around thinking for as many things as you can to be grateful for. And oftentimes like those first 30 seconds, they might even feel a little bit flat, but as you do it more and more and more, you're like, wow, 
I do have a lot to be grateful for. I, I have my, my eyes and ears to take in this podcast. I have my device to, to watch this podcast, which by the way, helps me check my email, helps me run my business. I have my friends, my, my first kiss, my first crush, um, my time in, in high school. I have my best friends. I have my heart that's beating in my chest every single second of every single day, you know, tirelessly pumping energy and nutrients to all the other organs, which are also serving me. Like, all these things that pop up, how could you not be grateful when you really think about it? So gratitude blitz is really easy. You can do it anywhere. You can do it, you know, on the way to work. You can do it while you're at work and someone says something negative and you want to take a minute to yourself. You can do it before going to sleep. You can do it when you wake it up. It's like, it's always there and it's very easy and it's fun to do. And again, for me, it builds up a lot of momentum and it's really fun. That sounds cool. And there was another one I was particularly interested in as well. And I've, I've, I've had a go at the uh, time-lapse method because I think it's, it's really cool because I think you're right. It does, you know, if you're, if you're putting them all together, you're not thinking, oh, well, that one's never going to happen. You know, mm -hmm. just like you're, you're sort of, you know, you are tricking your mind. And the other one I was interested in was story scripting because mm -hmm. I love stories. And for me, this is kind of like giving people the opportunity to create their own movie where they're the star of it and they get to like be the James Bond. Do you know what I mean? Like have everything they've ever dreamed of and create their own movie. Is that right? Is that, yeah, would you know, that be doing it right? Oh yeah. Well, first, first of all, if you enjoy it, you are doing it right. Like there's no way to do it wrong as long as you enjoy it. But also like, it's funny. I've made that point in, in other videos. You are the star of your own movie and it's up to you. Is this movie a romantic comedy? Is it a comeback story? Whatever it might be, you are the star. And the reason that I put in story scripting and the reason why I put in more than, more than one method is one, I can't predict which method is gonna resonate the most with each reader, but yeah. also people want variety because I think story scripting, again, you're, you're describing your life, you're writing about your life, again, in the present tense, as if you're already living it and you're telling it in story format, it could be really fun for people. I have a method in there called the instant replay method where you know me growing up in the States, watching ESPN, they always have like those highlight reels, like, let's look at that slam dunk in slow motion from a different angle. And like, have fun with it, have this visualization that you like, and rather than trying to force it, like, okay, I'm gonna try it in different angles and in slow motion. Here's me like jumping up and down in slow motion because I got that lottery win or because I got that job promotion or whatever it might be. So yeah, all these different pieces. And real quick, you mentioned like, you know, whether you're doing it right, Everything really does, like, as long as you feel good, you're doing it right. And uh, really, no, just go back to time-lapse method. I tweaked that. That's my version of another law of attraction method that I learned about. I made it my own because the way that plays out right now, it carries the most weight for me. So I think people should really understand that they should have the freedom. While I give step-by-step, -step, easy, simple instructions, people should always have the freedom to tweak it in whatever way works better for them. I mean, that way is going to work great. But if someone doesn't like doing it, if someone doesn't like writing, they can type. If they don't like typing, they can speak it. They can literally do story scripting into their phone, into a recorded message that they can play back and enjoy, or even send to a friend who will send it back to them. So there's countless ways of doing this. As long as you're having good at time, you're on the right track. Sounds great. Sounds great. Um, we've talked about storytelling a little bit, but how important is speaking and storytelling to you for building your audience and getting your message out there? You know, it's, I think there's, I'll, I'll put it this way. There are people that I will never reach if I'm not speaking, if I'm not putting myself out there. There are people that I would never reach without doing my YouTube channel. There are people that I would never reach without going on podcasts. And again, this was the, the understanding and intent before I started this. 
Remember when I was like, okay, what can I do in my business that I'm going to be excited every day? Because I know that if I really want to do this, and if I really care about this, at least for me personally, I have to talk about it every day. I mean, listen, you could talk about it every week. You don't have to talk about it every day. But for me, I like talking about it every day. And I think that there's something, there's something to, to reaffirming the message. But also, as people, as you're asked other questions, like in a format like this, you discover new ways of explaining the thing that you already know, and you refine your message. And all of a sudden, a story that took 10 minutes is now only five, but it's twice as powerful, or, or whatever it might be. And the thing also about storytelling is we just from childhood, we are conditioned to really pay attention when a story is being told. Again, I looking back, I mean, you, you made a good point that I don't tell stories in my book. And in many ways, it's a silly decision in the sense that I know if I did stories, like people would be perked up. I just, I found a way to make the book interesting nonetheless. But if you can put something in a story format, you're almost always going to have way more attention on you as you're doing it, which isn't just in service to you, but it's in service to the person listening because you want your information in a format where the person is gonna receive it the most easily and let things click into place as, as fast as, as, and, um, as efficiently as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And there is one more question that I haven't asked that I think I should, because I, I don't think we've quite covered this. Mm-hmm. Um, how is your ego, because you talk about this a lot, how is your ego actually keeping you from succeeding, not only with the law of attraction, but any other part of your life and business? Yeah, so, what I'm about to talk about here and what I talk about in the book, this is actually one of the biggest reasons why I call it the last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read, because this piece is really is really important. Now, quick disclaimer, I'm not a clinical psychologist. So even my definition of the ego might not match theirs. It's but but you'll people will understand as they hear this. So the way I break things down or the way I understand my reality, at least in a very easily simplified way that I can apply and, and kind of respond to is we've got three minds. We've got the conscious mind, and we've got the subconscious mind, and right in the middle, we've got what I define as the ego. And the ego is way stronger than the conscious mind, but nothing compares to the subconscious. But that ego that's right in the middle in terms of its power and in terms of its placement, it only has one job in this world, and that's keeping you alive, which technically means whatever money problems you have right now, whatever relationship problems you have right now, even whatever health problems you have right now, all your ego knows is that you are alive. And what it doesn't want to do is it does not want to risk the status quo. Because for example, someone out there might want to be rich or famous, but for all your ego knows is when you become famous, you're going to get a stalker and that's a threat to your survival. For all your ego knows is if you get rich, distant weird families and come out of the woodwork and try to take your home from you and try to leech money off of you. It's a threat to your survival. So your ego's like, listen, I love you. I'm in your corner here. But the number one thing here is that you're alive and I don't care about your satisfaction. I don't care about your fulfillment. I don't care about your happiness. I don't care about your comfort. I just care that you are alive. And right now you're alive. Whatever you're going through now, you're alive. Let's not risk anything. Which is why back in the day, when I would start to do those methods, there'd be a little voice saying, you don't need to do this. You can take a day off. That's the ego worrying that I'm going to have all these things. Again, not because it doesn't want to see me to, uh, see me succeed, but because it worries that that success will lower the probability of my survival. This begs a really important question. How do we get around this? Well, again, subconscious mind is way more powerful, meaning for me, strategically, because I'm a strategy guy, the best thing you could do is bypass the ego, get the subconscious mind on your side and let that do a lot of the heavy lifting, and you do that through the methods. 
as long as like whether it's gratitude or it's scripting, which is basically just journaling of your life in uh, the present tense as if you're living your dream life or visualization, you want to pick something that you enjoy enough that it can't talk you out of easily. That's why, by the way, even though five minutes really is enough, that's why I harp on the fact that five minutes is enough. Because if you have to do an hour every day, you're even if you enjoy it, your ego is going to talk you out of it because you've got a job to get to. You've got people to see. You've got things to do. But five minutes a day, knowing that that's going to be enough, and it really is, by doing that, by giving yourself that opportunity, it's something that you look forward to. It becomes a choice rather than a chore. It becomes something that you get to do rather than something that you have to do. That's when you've hit the sweet spot because then you have daily consistency, and then you're reaffirming that programming to your subconscious mind and that energy and vibration out to the universe. And then your ego is going to fight really hard, but there's nothing it can do. And then boom, you're at a new station in life, and here's the cool part. Now your ego is going to fight tooth and nail to protect that. That's why certain people, they'll reach a six-figure income and they'll lose their job. And within a year, by hook or by crook, they're making six figures again because that's their new financial thermostat. So when you get yourself to a new level, even if the bad things might happen in life, which they will happen way less if you're doing this consistently, you've already told your, your ego that it's safe to reach that level of happiness and success. Once you reach a station, that's your new thermostat. And all you want to do is reaffirm that and invite more good things after that. Sounds brilliant. And I think the other thing, just to sort of bit, again, something you mentioned right at the end there, it's like bad things are going to happen. But mm -hmm. I think well, since I've been working with the law of attraction and we've had some stuff happen that's been, I mean, we've had four house purchases fall through and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. I'm of the view that, that everything is rigged in my favor. So if I take that point of view, even though there's bad things happen, it's for a reason, something better is coming. And yes. I think otherwise you can get into a spiral of, you know, depression or whatever. So this gives you access to reframing stuff as well in a positive way if you know that something better is on the way, you know. So I, I don't know if that's right, but that's kind of an extra <laughs> thing I took away from that last part you said. Yeah, it's like, you know, technically... A perfect life is possible, but when you reach for a perfect life, you are inevitably going to fail because then all of a sudden everything has to be perfect and there's too much resistance. Me, again, I'm a strategy guy. I recognize that, one, there are certain negative thoughts that I've had in my life that it's not going to lead to perfection. But, again, what can I do to make it better and better and better and better? I'm not looking for a perfect life. I'm looking for a happy life. And through my daily consistency of engaging in gratitude and, and other of these methods, I'm inviting better and better results. And here's a really cool part. There are bad things that don't happen to me that I never knew I bypassed. Like you were, you're actually a lot of times when you're at this level, you're missing out on a lot of bad things, but you never know that you would have missed them out because you bypassed them by getting yourself this higher and higher and higher level. So yeah, certain bad things will happen, but you, to whatever measure you can, you, you use it to your advantage. You push yourself, you engage in the positivity and you know that, again, strategically, it's going to invite better and better. And that's all I really care about. Brilliant. That's cool. Now, I've got some standard questions I, I want to ask you before we just cycle back and, and talk about how people can find out more about you um, and the book and everything else. But is there anything else you think we need to add to the conversation around the law of attraction that we haven't co covered that people need to know um, at this point? <clears throat> so there's only there's one more thing that I, I like to, to talk about just to, again, giving people a new perspective. I think we can all remember a situation in our life where we're outside and it's kind of cloudy out and we feel like a slight little tickle on our skin, on, on the hairs of our arms and hands. And um, then, you know, a minute later, we see little specks on, if we're wearing like dark clothing, we see like little droplets. 
and then we can hear little droplets hitting the ground, and then we can even smell the dew, and before you know it, it's a torrential downpour. And the real, the point here is like, you know, when you're walking around and, and you find a, a little a coin on the street, like, that's money. And most people are like, okay, that's a coin, I'm, I'm done. But no, no, that's the universe telling you like, hey, here's free money and there's more where that came from. And when you celebrate that, when you look at it in that direction, you're inviting more of that to happen. So this thing about, you know, these raindrops, I call them manifestational raindrops. The whole point is even that tight little, that little tickle on your skin, that isn't a tickle in and of itself. That's basically once that hits, the storm is inevitable. And if you want, you can hold up an umbrella of resistance and keep the, 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 the abundance from raining down on you, but the universe is going to rain it down nonetheless. So, you know, you want the love of your life? Well, that first match on that dating app is a raindrop. That first meeting is a raindrop. That first discussion, that first time you laugh at each other's jokes, that's the first time you hold hands, that first kiss, these are all raindrops on the way to be celebrated. Even if it's not that person, you end up dating someone else and they're the love of your life. But I, I really want to affirm for people when good things happen, even small things, you want to celebrate them. These are raindrops that are indicators that the storm of your happiness and manifestation are inevitable. It's up to you whether you're going to let that rain down on you or you're going to hold up an umbrella saying no, no, no. But it's coming either way. So again, the best thing you can do for yourself is recognize these manifestational raindrops and invite this in with all the enthusiasm that you can muster. I love that metaphor. It's a nice one to sort of finish finish up on. That's brilliant. Thank you. Okay, so right, standard questions then. What's the best thing that speaking has done for you? Um, honestly, like, for me, it's basically, it's, it's helped me connect with the exact people that I wanted to connect with. Like with, without, again, I mean, fortunately for me, I, I put up on Amazon and the book's got a good title and it's got a good cover, in my opinion. People are going to find it. But it's through the speaking that I have really accelerated that because some people don't want to read the book. Maybe they like the audio book. They like to listen. Some people just don't want to read the book and that's fine. Speaking has provided me with the opportunity to reach people that otherwise would not be reached. And it sounds, I don't think it'll sound cliche to your audience or cheesy to your audience, but some people would. It's giving me this opportunity and them an opportunity to receive a positive impact that they otherwise would not have received if I didn't put myself out there in service to them. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And it's really clear to me, and it's something that I speak about and I encourage people to find is their mission message. You have a clear mission message that, you know, that is driving everything that you do and it comes comes across and you've built everything around it. And that's that's great. Yeah, absolutely. That's perfect. Okay. Yeah. And so, if I may real quick, just so, yeah, just so people know, don't look for perfection. Like me, I'm a fast talker and I have to improve on that just the way I am, because I get so excited, like the words, the words are, I'm trying to keep up with my brain. Um, when you start speaking, you're not, you, you should always strive for improvement, but you're never going to be perfect. But it's in the actual doing of the speaking that you're going to accelerate your improvement. Don't try to perfect it before you do it, do it to perfect it. Absolutely, which leads me lovely into the next question, which is, have you ever had a, a, a bad speaking gig when you're like, oh my god, that was awful? Right. So uh, this is going to sound really egotistical. Um, I've, <clears throat> I've had times where I haven't been happy with, with my delivery of the message. However, because I've worked so hard to raise my standard, it was bad by my standard, but it wasn't bad. Like the message still got across. So 
Uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I think we're all our own worst critics. So there's times where I'm like, oh, you, Andrew, you really got it. You got to get your act together. But I think hopefully, fortunately, I've worked so hard to get myself to a point where I couldn't feel too bad about it because I know that I'm always improving and I'm always raising the low bar. I'm always raising the low bar. So it'll happen, but don't kick yourself when it does. Just keep improving because the more you do it, the higher those low bars will be for yourself. Absolutely. And I think the key point you mentioned there and, and probably in the previous uh, answer was that it is not about you or being perfect. It's about you being the vehicle for the message and making sure the message lands. And yes. as long as it lands, doesn't matter if you said a few ums and ahs or whatever it is, you've got to start and, and then, you know, get it out there. That's the most important thing. So, yeah, yeah cool. And, and, you know, cheat code, when you're doing it with the mentality of being in service to others, it makes it way easier for you. Because then all of a sudden, it's not about you, it's about them. And it just, you know, you come from a different place in your heart, which can be felt and, ex and, and seen and experienced in your body language, in, in what you say. Again, even though I'm, I'm talking faster than I want to, I do, I have no doubt that people understand I at least care about this. And they will understand that about you when you care in service to them as well. Absolutely. Exactly. That's exactly what I say all the time. It's brilliant to hear it coming from you too. That's smashing. Okay. So what's the... Aside from your own, what's the book that's had most impact on your life and why? Mm, probably um, What to Say When You Talk to Yourself by Shad Helmstetter, because that's the, that's the first book that introduced the concept or the idea. And that's, that wasn't even a law of attraction book. But that, to me, affirmed and, and really sold on to me that the thoughts that you put into your head, they're going to have some kind of impact. Cool. Thank you. Um, What's the best bit of business advice you've ever had and why? Mm, um, really fo focus on, you know, whether it's client or customer or whatever word or prospect, whatever word you want to use, focus on them, focus on the customer. Because when you're doing that, a lot more things will click into place. When you're coming from them, their perspective, you're not only going to sell more, but you're going to create a product or a service that's worth selling. You know, when, when you worry about the, the fulfillment end of things like me, um, I think customer service is in and of itself a sales vehicle because it keeps it one, they'll buy more from you and two, they'll refer you. They'll be word of mouth. So best business advice I've ever gotten is, is focus on the customer because that's like the keys to the city right there. Absolutely. Cool. Okay. Last question then. If you could have one mentor and they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Wow. Um, Hmm. Well, so here's the thing. Um, this, this is going to sound really egotistical again, but it's only because I've already had all these wonderful mentors through all the books I've read and all the programs I've watched. Knowing how hard I am myself, I basically want a version of me 20 or 30 years in the future because that version understands me deeper than any other mentor will. That version of me understands any insecurities that are still um, lingering that version of me understands the fastest, best, quickest way to get me to a higher level. So I want an advanced version of me because I've already had the benefit of other people. I love it. Okay, it's a Matthew McConaughey answer. That's really mm. cool. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Smashing. Well, listen, thank you so much, Andrew. Now, if people want to find out more about you um, and get the book and perhaps look at working with you, because I know you have a 90-day program as well, mm. where's the best place for them to go? Yeah. And by the way, the 90 program really is just like the book is enough. But if you want someone that's going to walk you through 90 days of doing the methods, that's there for you. Um, so 
at least for the states, I mean, I know last law of attraction book.com forwards to the US listing on Amazon, but where whatever country you're in, just look for a last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read on Amazon um, to check out the book. But if you don't want to pull out your wallet, I have a YouTube channel, free content. It's just youtube.com slash Andrew Cap, or just search for Andrew Cap, that's K A P, um, in YouTube. And, you know, I teach new methods, I keep variety going. I interview law of attraction experts and we haven't heard it here, but I try to inject my really silly, weird sense of humor um, as a tool of making points and, and hopefully keeping people entertained. So whether it's the book on Amazon or it's a YouTube channel, um, I hope that the content that I create will serve people in some way. Yeah. And I, you've also got a podcast as well. I think if people will eventually find, find that as well, but yeah, you, it's I more business just... related law of attraction. These are the ones, but that right, I saw okay, like an entrepreneurial cool. podcast. Yeah. Well, they might want to find out all, you know, every bit of Andrew they can get hold of basically. Yeah. So, they, they can always then... hop on, on shattered mold podcast.com if they want to check that out. And <laughs> they um actually, you know what they, now that I think about it, they do, they're going to want to check that out. Cause at some point we're going to have you as a featured speaker there. So <laughs> That, that'll be a fun thing for them to check out and get a new side of you. Cool. Excellent. Brilliant. Well, listen, thank you so much for sharing so many brilliant things with people. I hope that between us and they're going to check this out because I really do believe it will make a massive impact on their life. And yeah, really appreciate it, Andrew. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the wonderfully insightful questions. It really... It's, it's a huge um, perk for me to get to talk to people like you that understand this and, and are on board with it. Thank you. There you go. What do you think now? Has Andrew shifted anything for you? I like to look at it this way, and I think we mentioned it in the interview. What's the worst thing that can happen if you try this stuff out? Because I know from my own experience that results aside, focusing more on what I have to be grateful for and the good things that are coming my way has been way better for me than thinking about what's wrong with my life and what I've not got. So do go and check out Andrew's channel, his podcast and his book. I definitely recommend it. I've put links to all of his stuff in the show notes for you just to make it easy. And um, I've got one thing to ask of you before I head off. If you enjoy this podcast, please, can you do me a favor and head over to ratethispodcast.com slash TSC and take a couple of minutes to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me. Put a lot of effort into this, and I love to um, see what you're saying about it, and it also helps other people to find it too. And if you screenshot your review and message me with it on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn, or Twitter, then I will send you an e-copy of my book, Cracking Speech Mate, How to Use Humor to Make You an Amazing Speaker on e book for free just like i did for andy cowell i hope you're enjoying it andy thanks so much for joining me i will be back in a week and in the meantime don't you forget to go out grab your life by the nuts and get cracking bye bye if you want to be more memorable and engaging when you talk then you need to share more stories Stories can help you better connect with your audience and their problems and get them leaning in more powerfully than anything else. And short, snackable stories are great to use in pitches, Facebook Lives, podcasts, videos, keynotes, webinars, blogs, in fact, everywhere to share your message and grow your business. The trouble is that finding your snackable stories and confidently sharing them can feel like a struggle. And that struggle can slow you down 
or stop you in your tracks. But that's where my free snackable story challenge comes in. Over the course of just five days, I'm going to give you resources, training and coaching to help you find your authentic personal stories to share and build your skills and confidence in sharing them. Not only that, but the challenge will guide you towards a tangible result at the end and assets for you to use going forward. The next challenge is starting soon. So to grab your space, go to saraharcher.co.uk slash challenge right now.